Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, June 13th, 2021, we continue our series titled Uncommon Joy, the Book of Philippians. Today's sermon, The Truth About Contentment, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Enjoy. this morning in Philippians chapter 4 is about contentment. I just want to prepare you a little bit as we walk through this all. You're going to hear words that Paul will use like secret and learned, giving you the idea that right from the very beginning that this is not an easy trick. It just doesn't happen naturally. Before though I jump in and tell you what contentment is biblically here, let me tell you what it's not. Contentment contentment is not about finding my satisfaction in things. Now, unfortunately, that's sort of the message that the world gives off, right? That I will find contentment and and happiness and joy in a new car. It doesn't take long to watch, you know, commercials on TV to find that true satisfaction, you know, is going to be that I buy this certain kind of car. Maybe it's a new house and a new neighborhood, going up the ladder a little bit. Maybe it's a whole new relationship. My happiness level is probably gonna go off the the charts, you know, if I can just get a better job. If I take a better vacation, have fewer wrinkles, more money. It's a message that really truthfully breeds discontentment in life. The Bible actually gives a very different picture of who we are to be. Solomon, who's the, biblically is the wisest man who ever lived. I mean, in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10, it says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13 says, you're to keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. The truth is, is that contentment is about finding my satisfaction not in things, but in Jesus. I find satisfaction in Christ, in his forgiveness, in heaven, in the brand new life I've been given, in finally having a purpose that I completely understand why I'm here on this earth. You know, as believers, contentment is about recognizing that we already have every single thing we need in Christ. Everything beyond that is It's gravy. It's grace. So Paul here in chapter four is gonna give us four truths about contentment. He will include in that one of the most well-known verses but most taken out of context verses in all of the Bible in Philippians chapter four, verse 13. Now, if you're not familiar with that, let me just tell you what it says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, for a lot of people, that's their life verse, favorite verse, love it, it means a ton to them. Maybe you got it written on a, on a board someplace. It's someplace that's up in, in your house. The context of the verse is that God, it's God who's going to give me the strength to endure what I maybe don't want to have to endure. People will take that and they'll think, well, no, what it means is when I come to faith in Jesus, I'm gonna get this special sort of supernatural blessing spiritually that allows me to do anything. 
That's not the context of the verse. The will of God limits the application of the verse, folks. Verse 13 is about contentment. Now, context-wise, you've got to remember Paul, when he writes this, is in prison. Now, typically those that were in prison during that time were not fed by the state or the, you know, the, the country or whoever like, like we have in our system today. Today, if you get incarcerated, you know, whether it's a state prison or a federal prison, they're going to be responsible for feeding you three meals a day. But back in those days, it was completely different. Their only responsibility was they would lock you up. But if you were going to eat, that meant that somebody had to take their own money and their time to feed you. Much like happens in countries around the world today. If you were to you know, get incarcerated in Mexico, they're not going to feed you. Your family is responsible for that to feed you. And so what you get here in, cha- in verses 10 through 13 of chapter four is that Paul is writing them, he's thanking the Philippians for their support of him. Remember, he is a tent maker by trade, and so that's the way he earned his living, but the fact that he's in jail means he can't make tents and he can't sell them, and so he has no way to provide for himself to eat. It's a big part of the reason why you see Timothy and Epaphroditus there with him. So let me stop and let's read through the passage now that you've got the context here. Philippians 4, starting in verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but had no opportunity. Now stop and look up just for a second. Let me make sure context-wise you understand what's going on here. A lot of people will read through that and say, well, did they just stop giving him money for a while? Were they mad at him? And some people actually thought, well, because there were false teachers within the church there, you know, they were kind of coming around and trying to lead people astray, that those false teachers came along and sort of spoke really poorly about, you know, Paul, and they for a while believed it and did not support him in the ministry. That's one possibility. The other possibility, which I lean more towards is, is that during that time, the only person that had the wherewithal to make that journey and support them and you know, be free from a family was Epaphroditus, but he was already there with him. Now, keep going here. Verse 11. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Paul's gonna tell us, like I said, four things here in the passage here about contentment. The first thing he's gonna tell us here is, verse 10, is that contentment requires thankfulness. Go back to verse 10 again. I rejoiced. Uh, the word rejoice is the same word that we would get thankful for. I'm thankful in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, that you were indeed concerned for me but had no opportunity. Com- contentment and thankfulness actually go together. In fact, you can't have one without the other. Now Paul though, even though he's not free because he's in a Roman prison, is thankful. And he, the reason why he's thankful is because he knows how important thankfulness is in our lives. In fact, at another time in Ephesians chapter five, he will write and he'll say, give thanks always and for everything. In 1 Thessalonians chapter five, he'll write, give thanks in all circumstances. 
Now, you know, obviously it's easier to give thanks when we feel blessed, right? When everything is going well, when you, you know, had your physical and you went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, clean bill of health, you're good to go. That's great, it's easy to stop and thank the Lord at that time. What he's saying though is, you need to give thanks regardless of those things. You need to learn how to trust in God. You know, one of the signs of the Holy Spirit being in control of our lives is a thankfulness in our lives in any situation. Again, it's easy. When life's good, give thanks. All of us will go, yeah, absolutely. But what about when life's not so good? What about when the doctor says you're gonna need to come back for a follow-up visit for this? Is it possible still before the Lord to go, God, I don't... This is scary, I don't like all the things about it, but thank you for walking with me through this moment. When our kids are doing great, man, it's great, it's awesome when our kids are you know, trusting the Lord and walking with the Lord and we give thanks to the Lord, but what about when they're running from God? I mean, what do we do then? Paul's advice would be, to give thanks. I mean, now, of course, I, to be honest, I would pray too. God, trip them up. Stub their toe. Break an ankle. I don't care what you gotta do. Slow them down. But God, thank you, because in the process of this, you are creating character. And Paul, you gotta remember, Paul is not in a resort in Rome when he writes this. He's not in a villa in Tuscany. He is in prison. He didn't choose to be there. He didn't want to be there. And yet he writes and he says in this time, I'm thankful because he sees God's provision for his life. Thankfulness in life in every situation allows God to build depth inside of me and give me peace. In fact, take, you know, if you're looking in Philippians 4 here, go back to verses 6 and 7 for a second that Jeff talked about last week. In verse six he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is something about thankfulness in difficulties that leads to a trust and a peace with God. Now, the second thing that Paul's gonna tell us here in verse, is in verse 11, and that is that contentment requires learning. Learning, look what he says again in verse 11. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Contentment is not something that happens just instantaneously when you and I come to faith in Jesus. I mean, it's not like you can stop all of a sudden and somebody explains the gospel and you pray this prayer. All right, Jesus, will you forgive me? Come into my life, take control of me. Jesus' name, amen. You go, wow, I no longer want a home on the beach. I don't need a Range Rover. Wow, it was awesome. It doesn't happen like that. I still live in a world where stuff is around me all the time. I mean, food looks just as good when you come to faith as before you came to faith. You know, a big house is still a big, wonderful, I mean, it's all these things are still out there. Paul talks about it here and he says, he uses the word learned. 
Learned gives the idea that you have to go through something. In fact, for those of you that were English majors in college, this word learned here is a cumulative aorist, which means you learn it once and you keep learning it in the process. It happens over a period of time. Commitment, contentment, excuse me, is not something that's just a part of our natural makeup. You know, it, it, it seems like so many of us think, well, I think contentment just sort of happens like puberty, right? You get to a, you go, go through a little bit of life and you get to a certain age and boom, you're just all of a sudden content. No. It doesn't happen like that. It happens because along the way, we teach our children certain lessons with the idea that they would mature. I mean, think about what moms and dads do. Like when parents come along and they, they, they take their kids and say, oh, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start working on something called manners because we want our kids to be polite and respectful. And so when you speak to somebody, we'll say, will you say yes, sir, and no, no ma'am, and all those things like that. Okay, okay. And I want you to learn to say please. Would you like a piece of this? Please. And to say thank you. It's not like those things just happen naturally. Oh, well, I didn't used to say those things, but then I turned 21. Boom, it happened. No, it doesn't happen like that. We learn those things. I, can, I can't even tell you how many times that, you know, in, in the process, I would step in, somebody, in front of somebody at a store and I would feel this little pull on the back of my shirt back by my mom or my dad and they say, when you walk in front of somebody, you say, pardon me. I learned manners because my parents took time enough to build those things in me. What about hygiene? Well, son, you've got to start brushing your teeth here because your breath's bad. Okay, well, and you, we don't want to get the sugar bugs, you know, and so we you, know, you brush and you like it, and you gotta start, you know, wearing, you know, antiperspirant. This is called antiperspirant. You're gonna put it on, otherwise you're gonna stink. And you don't want to stink. And so we learn these lessons. We, as we're growing, all again with the idea that we would move from an immature spot to a mature spot. Same thing about responsibility. How many times have you, know, you got a dog and the first thing that mom and dad do is look at the kids and go, okay, you're gonna be responsible. Your job is to feed the dog. And your job is after he feeds the dog, you get to pick up what's next. And your job is to you know, go into your room and pick up your clothes, and you're gonna make your bed, and you're gonna take out the trash, and, and all these things. Again, all of it with the idea that we would grow as a result of our parents teaching and become mature. Why would it be any different with our Father, God, teaching us. I want you to learn to trust me. I want you to learn contentment. Not to be on a continual cycle thinking that you're going to be happy if you can get the next thing. And if I don't get the next thing, I'm never gonna be satisfied, never gonna be happy. You need to find true happiness in me. Now the third thing that Paul's gonna get to here is in verses 11 and 12, and that is he's gonna tell us that contentment is learned in any context. 
Go back to verse 11 again. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and abundant, or hunger, abundance, and need. So Paul says whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. In fact, in verse 11, he uses the term learned. In verse 12, he says it's a secret. Well, what's a secret? How to be satisfied with a little or a lot. It's not an easy lesson to learn. In fact, in some ways, it's almost un-American if you think about it. I can't tell you how many times you know, I've run into parents that, that they feel like their kids are way too easily satisfied in life and they tend to ask them questions like, when are you gonna get motivated? You know? When are you gonna get some drive and a work ethic and you know, get out of the basement type thing? We tend to look down on people in life that don't have the same level of drive that we do and yet it's, it's so interesting because it's that very same level of drive that creates so much anxiety and wrong priorities inside of us. Jesus in Matthew chapter six stopped and he said something very interesting to a group of people. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these other things will be added to you. You know what the context of what he was talking about? There was a group of people there that came out to listen to him, but they were so caught up in stuff and worrying about how they were gonna live and where they were gonna live and all the stuff that they would have that they were so caught up in that they couldn't produce anything spiritually in their lives, that they had anxiety in their lives. And so Jesus said, stop, don't do that. Follow me, and then all these other things, they're gonna take care of themselves. The priorities will become right if you'll follow me. You know, unfortunately today, so many believers are still learning that same lesson. I mean, I can't tell you how many people would say, well, yeah, Jesus is the only true satisfaction in life, but they still struggle over and over again reaching for things they think are gonna make them happy. Let me share a biblical truth that is not very popular. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 said these words. It'll be up on the screen. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Okay, let me translate test you. It's like a little bit like saying when you're having to learn something. When it comes upon to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, be thankful. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice, be thankful, and be glad when his glory is revealed. What Paul is saying here is God's plan is to grow you, and it may not be the plan that you would have chosen. I mean, you want to seek satisfaction one way, and God wants you to find it another I have an important truth for you. I don't mean for this to sound condescending, but God is not the one that is directionally wrong here. We are. Let me give you a, a metaphor. And by the way, if you don't believe that last statement, Isaiah 55 tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. We can't even see the truth on that one. My, my sweet little granddaughter, Ella, um, 
loves to be carried around. And, and, and most of you that are parents and grandparents, you get it, you know, there's that spot right here on your hip and you turn them around where they face out and they can sort of sit right there in one hand, you got them like that. And, you, and it's great, she loves it. She loves it because she loves, to be, she loves to see what you're seeing. And so she loves to go outside and see the trees and the birds and hear the sounds and see the colors and all those things. And it, to be honest, it makes sense that I would put her right here and carry her around because everything that I get to see, she gets to see, right? And I want her to see those things. The problem is, is if I carry her all the time, she never develops the strength and the balance to crawl. And if she never learns how to crawl, she will never walk. If she never walks, she'll never run. The problem, though, is crawling is dirty. It's on the, it's on the ground. And it's slow. I mean, we're waiting, come on, you know. She doesn't do this quickly, right? And it's kind of demeaning. Why should she have to crawl when I'm plenty big enough to pick her up and carry her every place she needs to go, right? By the way, don't we often say that to God? God, why do I have to walk through this life and go through all these different things when you could just make things easier by giving me a few million bucks? The problem is she will never, never personally become who she's intended to be without the struggle of crawling. I mean, I love to carry her, but it would be selfish on my part to never put her down. It would be foolish on her part to never set up and begin to crawl. She will miss out on life. And the same thing is true with us spiritually. If God makes every path easy, how does my faith grow? How do I mature into becoming who I was intended to be spiritually? I will miss out on life. Verse 12 here, Paul uses the word contentment with the idea that it, it, might, you know, it might be a path that I didn't choose. He says here that contentment has to be learned. You know, I was gonna use the word must be learned, but the truth is lots of believers never learn it. They will spend their whole lives struggling with contentment. The truth is, we're not born with contentment. It just doesn't happen, develop. You have to be schooled in it. It's a struggle. Verse 12 calls it a secret. Paul tells us we learn it whether it's in wealth or in poverty. And the question is, when will I learn it? When I have much or I have little? You know, what's so interesting is that poverty and wealth, whether you have little or a lot here, are both equally regarded as a trial. But you know what's odd is poverty is typically, in our minds, in our human minds, poverty is almost always seen as way more troubling situation than wealth. Well, if I gotta learn it one way or the other, I'd rather learn it by having millions, right? But which is easier to get enslaved to? Poverty or wealth? Each circumstance has its challenges. What's interesting here is this, this word here, learned. The Greek word also means initiated. Initiated. The meaning is that God will somehow initiate us into his servants, into spiritual growth, 
whether we like it or not, the question is, will I learn or will I simply get mad at God in that moment? It's like getting drafted into the military. You know, most vets I know did not ask to be drafted. They didn't ask to go to boot camp. They didn't ask to get shipped out. They didn't ask to go someplace else in the world where somebody might be taking shots at them. They got initiated, like it or not. The question at that point became, are you going to be a good soldier or are you going to be a bitter soldier? Historically here, this word, learned, was used very often by the Stoic, the Greek Stoic philosophers as reaching a point where they would somehow get to the point where they were self-sufficient, where they would just say, well, I personally have got the discipline, I don't need these things. That's not the message that Paul is giving here at all. What Paul actually says here, if you go to verse 13 here, is that we are to become sufficient in Christ. We are to be Christ-sufficient. It's not something you can just do on your own and say, I accomplishment. It happens because we trust in Christ. Now, that brings us to the fourth thing here in verse 13, and that is contentment is found in Christ. Look what he says again in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, here's what he's really saying. Contentment isn't in Something, it's in someone. Most of the time, we as people would say, oh, contentment is I'm just happy with what I have. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying here is you're happy in Christ. Whether you have a little or a lot. key term here in verse 13 is through him. He's the focus. He's the power. It's his strength that gives the ability to make it. I can do all things through him by his strength, but I have to trust in him. Paul later in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, probably one of the most famous verses too, again, that we, many of us know, says some really powerful words that really fit into what we're talking about here. Romans 8, 28 says, for we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let me read that one more time. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let me tell you the reason why I said that. Because if you don't believe that, you will never be content. Unless you believe that God is doing something in your life for your good, you will not trust him. You want a perfect example of that? Of all things working together like that? When Paul wrote this, he was in prison. Now think about this. Paul is traveling around the Mediterranean planting churches. You would think, you would think, okay, in a human mindset that you would go, well, why would God want to interrupt that? Why wouldn't he put a little cocoon around him and just bless him right there? Because all he's doing is going around leading people to Jesus and then, you know, building up leaders and establishing churches. Why in the world would God let him get thrown into jail? Did you fail? Do you not care? 
You know what happened when he went to jail? He wrote scripture so that you would know how to live your life. God slowed him down long enough that he might write the vast majority of the New Testament work that we build our lives upon. Yeah, but I wanted this plan. This is what I wanted to do. And maybe you gotta be okay with God saying, I have a different one. Are you okay with that? If we do not believe, if we do not trust in him, we will struggle with contentment, we will struggle with crawling, we will become angry because God didn't pick us up when we asked him to and answer the way we asked him to. The secret though here to victory is through Christ. It's realizing that he might have a different path and being okay with that. If you don't believe that, you'll never find satisfaction. Verse 13 tells us that contentment is in Christ. It's not in a spiritual ability that I received. It's in Christ. That tells me that my worth is not found in things or accomplishment. It's found in Christ. That's one of the reasons why you will hear the pastors here always say over and over again, you need to be preaching the gospel to yourself daily because you need to be reminded who you are in Christ. Contentment is the trusting that God is, in, is fully in control of the molding of our lives. He's right here, he's right next to me. Even when I have to crawl. The discontented person will struggle with that. They'll struggle with the sovereignty of God. They'll wonder how God could be uncaring, how God could be, maybe he's unable when the truth is God is right there. He's just doing something I disagree with right now. He's molding me. Contentment does not mean complacency. God is not asking you to turn everything off in your life. Contentment means you have a holy ambition to trust in him and learn whatever lesson he wants you to learn. You know, I'm gonna ask a worship team if they'll come back and they'll join me. You know, some of you may be struggling with contentment and ultimately struggling with God because somewhere along life's path, he didn't do what you expected him to do or wanted him to do and you had to crawl. Maybe metaphorically you're still crawling. Listen, let me encourage you. God loves you. He loves you enough to send his only son to pay the price for you to become his child. His plan is for you to run some days to do something wonderful and significant with your life. But before you can run, you gotta walk, and before you can walk, you gotta crawl. And so that means you're gonna have to learn the secret of trusting in him and in his plan and finding satisfaction not in the things that you can gather up because you pursued them heavily, but in trusting in him. How does it start? 
It starts by you praying and changing your prayers from grumbling to thanking. You say, well, how do you do that? You know, God, I don't know why this particular thing is happening right now in my life. And I've been before you many times. And I've come before you and asked you to do this, but I'm going to stop now. I'm going to thank you because there are things in this that you're going to teach me. You're going to shape me, that you want to do in me and provide even an opportunity greater for even for the gospel and to be able to speak into others' lives in this moment. Teach me to see those things, God, and to trust in you in this moment. Everything will change in your life when you get to that spot. Everything will change in your life. Developing a trust in the Lord, finding your satisfaction in Him, independent of the circumstances, will cause you to get up from the crawl to a walk or cause you to move on from the walk to a run. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that this morning you would move very carefully in the hearts and minds of our people to come before you and to trust you even in the things that they don't see, even in the things that the world tells them don't work, that they'd not pursue all the things of the world but they would pursue you, that they would find their satisfaction in you and they would declare that before you. Lord, give them the gift of contentment because they have learned the secret of trusting in you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Contentment, church, is not in things. Contentment is in Christ. And the, we'll finally find that sense of happiness is when we trust that the path that he walks us on, whether it's little or it's much, that he's in control. He is building us. He is shaping us. We are getting schooled at that time to become all that we need to be. Don't fight that. Go to him in prayer and thank him for that. Even the stuff you don't understand, just be honest. Share it before the Lord, but don't grumble with him. Thank him and let him teach you that. God bless you. Love you all.